Christ is risen. Now, in the historical liturgy, uh, you would respond, Christ is risen indeed. Uh, This is a call and response that I've been able to enjoy many times uh, with my churches over the years, and uh, now I miss it. I miss hearing that response, that reminder of this essential truth that Christ is risen. In fact, uh, some people may suggest that uh, Easter 2020, uh, April 12, 2020, is the Easter that did not happen. And uh, perhaps we feel that way. We can't gather with our larger families and enjoy a bigger meal. Uh, We can't get together every kid in the neighborhood and have a giant Easter egg hunt. We can't go to church and worship with God's people. But that doesn't mean that Easter has not happened. It is interesting that the Apostle Paul deals with that exact question about whether Easter happened or not in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's there that Paul begins to address a concern in the church in Corinth that some have begun to believe and to propagate the idea that no one is resurrected from the dead. Now, Paul has saved this until the very end of his letter to the Corinthians so that he can give it emphasis, so that it will stick in their memory, because it is so important to understand the truth. Not only in general do people rise from the dead, but specifically that Christ has risen from the dead. And even if we can't get together with big families or have those big meals or more importantly, gather together with the people of God and worship, Christ is still risen, and it gives us hope and joy in any circumstance. And that's why I want us to look at this text uh, together. Again, we are looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to read the first um, eight verses, and then verses 16 through 19. So I invite you to listen as I read God's Word. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he has appeared also to me." And then if we look down, beginning in verse 16, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope, in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Thus ends the reading of God's Word. And when we study it, whether it's by ourselves, with other people in our family, or when 
We're all together. We need God's help. And so let's pray for that help right now. Heavenly Father, we love you, and we are thankful for these words that remind us of these marvelous truths that even though we may not be able to celebrate Easter, Easter indeed is a reality that lives and gives us hope even now when we cannot be together. Oh, I pray that your Spirit will help me as I teach your Word. Lord, that the person who listens, who sees this, will believe that they will take it to heart, that they will feel hope growing inside of them, And I pray, Lord, that you will help me. Use me to speak your word for the good of your people and for your glory. For we pray in the risen Christ's name. Amen. So as we look at this text together, I want us to look at it under two major headings. First of all, is that Christ has been raised. And secondly, what if Christ has not been raised? Because that's what Paul does in this passage. He first states the positive, Christ has been raised, but then he spends a lot of time here in 1 Corinthians 15 asking the question, what would be true if Christ had not been raised? And so we're going to look at those two things as well. First of all, we look at what Paul says in terms of Christ having been raised. Now, for that, we see two things that Paul tells us. First of all, that this truth is essential, and secondly, that it is something of evidence. So it's essential, and it's something that has evidence. And we see that in these first few verses. He says it's essentially personally to the people in Corinth who he's writing this letter to. He says, you heard this. You received it. This is something that enabled you to stand. In other words, he's talking about when they first heard the essentials of the gospel, which he explains here in just a second, that they received it, that they welcomed it, that they had joy in it. And then he throws this little line in at the end of verse 2, unless you believed in vain. What that means is that these things are true. It it brings hope. It brings a, a, a brilliant confidence in the future unless their faith was paper thin, unless there was no substance to their faith. It's essential. And he also tells us it's essential by giving us Uh, what really is an ancient creedal formula, if you will. It's something that early Christians uh, would have been able to say and remember the essential truths of the gospel. And it's something that we can remember and say that reminds us of what's most important. You see how Paul Paul underscores this by saying in verse 3, I delivered what was of first importance. That is, this is the most important thing to remember. Now listen as he describes how essential this is. He says that uh, Christ has died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Do you hear this language? First of all, He gives us three elements that are part of the essential truth of what we call the gospel or the good news, and that is that Christ died, that Christ was buried, and that Christ Uh, was raised from the dead. Now, these are things that we confess together in ancient creeds, like the Apostles' Creed. We say these things together because they're essential, they're important, they're at the very foundation of what Christians believe is true. But notice Paul puts along with these statements 
at least in the first and third case where it says that Jesus died and that he was raised from the dead, he says, according to the scriptures. What Paul is saying is this was not only essential in terms of Christianity being a cohesive uh, kind of belief, but it is essential because it is cohesive with everything that is written in the Old Testament. When he says according to the scriptures, he means according to the Old Testament, according to the scriptures of God's people, the Jews. And there in passages like Isaiah chapter 53, we see about a servant who will die for the sins of others. We see how he will see a day of rejoicing even after he is put to death. And Psalm 22, which recounts rather graphically something that is very similar to what Jesus suffers on the cross. And in these passages, it says that he will not let his flesh see decay. In other words, Paul is saying scriptures, not just these, but others, point to these truths that the Christ, notice he uses this technical term, not Jesus, that means Messiah, the anointed one, the son of David who would come, that these things have to be true, that he died for sins, that he's buried, and that he's raised from the dead. They're essential truths. And if you're listening or you're watching uh, this message, and you have always wondered, what does it mean to be a, a Christian? Then Paul really gives us the basics of being a Christian. Do you believe that God came and the person Jesus Christ, Christ isn't his last name, Christ is a title that is attributed to him, that he is Jesus who was anointed by God to be the Savior of people. And the way he saved them was by dying upon a cross. He died not because he deserved to die, but because we deserve to die. And he was raised from the dead to show that he had conquered all that would cause us to die, all of the, the punishment that people who rebel against God, who don't want to have anything to do with him, who sin against him, all of it was placed upon him. So he paid the, the penalty completely. His resurrection proves that there's not a single thing left that needs to be done for you to be right with God. And it also means that we have the opportunity to have a new life with God, not just now, but for all eternity. You see, these are the essentials of the Christian faith, that Jesus died, that he was buried, and that he rose again. But then I want us to think about how Paul gives us evidence. He says, that, you know, again, the first thing that's true is that Christ has been raised. So he's given us how it's essential, but then he gives us evidence. And notice he begins to name people that actually were eyewitnesses of Jesus' resurrection. It says uh, in verse 5, he appeared to Cephas. Now, if you don't know who that is, that's an, uh, the Aramaic name for the apostle Peter. Uh, Peter, who some consider to be the, the head of the church in the first century. Uh, and then to the twelve, that's a reference to all of the disciples. Uh, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom, Paul says, are still alive, though some have fallen asleep, which is a way of Paul saying, even though some have died. What was Paul saying? Paul is saying this wasn't just uh, basically uh, authenticated by one person. This was authenticated by person after person. First, it was Peter. 
and then it was all of the disciples, and then it was over 500. Now, the New Testament doesn't tell us where exactly those 500 would have all seen Jesus uh, after his resurrection, but Paul is saying there, there are so many of them that are still alive, that is in the first century, that the Corinthians, who he was writing to, or anyone else who may have read his letters, could have gone and found those people for themselves. They could have talked to someone and said, tell me about when you saw Jesus after he was raised from the dead. And then he continues that list of people. He says that he then appeared uh, to all of the apostles, uh, to James, and to Paul himself. Now, Paul's uh, witness of the resurrection comes when he was on his road to Damascus. And Jesus appeared to him and appeared to him in his risen glory and called him from his way of persecuting the church to his way of propagating the church. And it was a beautiful thing. And what Paul is saying is these people are still around and you can talk to them. As a matter of fact, we know from first century history that not only did those people proclaim the truth that Jesus had been risen from the dead, but many of them, particularly these disciples and James and Paul, all went to their deaths because they were so certain that Jesus was raised from the dead, they could never even imagine that it was not true. And this is evidence. This is evidence that will hold up in a court, not only in the first century, but even today. And so this is what Paul is saying, that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. It's essential and there's evidence. But secondly, I want us to look at what Paul is saying in verses 16 through 19. Because remember, the people in Corinth have somehow been misled. They have begun to think that no one is raised from the dead. Now, it's not clear exactly how this confusion takes place or exactly what the nature of that confusion was. Paul treats it as though they just, from a blanket perspective, did not think people rose from the dead after they died. Now, Paul wants to explain to them that if that's true, if people don't rise from the dead, then Jesus didn't rise from the dead. And so that's what his argument uh, following is all about. And that's why we picked it up in verses 16 through 19. And as we look at that, uh, there is kind of one idea that encapsulates what is true if Jesus was not raised from the dead. If Easter itself didn't happen, he says, you have futile faith. Now, futile means it has no purpose no meaning, no significance. He says, you have futile faith. That's the result if Christ were not raised from the dead. Now, I want us to look one by one at the three things he says would make your faith futile. What would be futile about your faith? Well, first of all, in verse 17, he says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. The first thing about the futility of your faith would be that you're still in your sins. That means that you still have to give an account of all of your actions, all of your words, all of your thoughts to God. And he will decide whether those thoughts, words, and deeds are according to what he instructs human beings to do, think, and, uh, and feel, or whether it's not. And I know if I stood before God and had to answer for everything I'd ever 
done, said, or thought, I'd be in deep trouble. And I think you would too. Because all of us struggle to say the right thing, to think the right thing, uh, to do the right thing. And so we would still be, that means we'd still be in our sins if there was not some kind of way to escape from that uh, judgment. Paul says if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then he in fact didn't conquer all of the guilt and all of the weight of sin that we have against us. There is no reason to believe that he won that victory. And so that means we still are accountable for the things we do wrong ourselves. And if we are, then that is a terrible situation. That's a terrible situation. Secondly, he says, futile faith looks like this. He says that verse 18, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And here he draws on their memories of people who have come before them in faith. Maybe their mothers or fathers, their good friends, their brothers or their sisters. People who had believed the gospel, believed in Jesus, but are now dead. He says, are those people perishing? That means suffering, judgment, now and forever. Or are they in a state of salvation, of peace, of bounty, of the presence of Christ? He says, if the resurrection of the dead doesn't happen, then Christ didn't raise from the dead, which means the people who have died are actually giving account for their sins. And that is something that none of us would want to think about. None of us would want to think about the people who had gone before us, even though they were faithful people, even though they loved God, even though they honored Christ, that they are now suffering. And that's what Paul is doing. He's calling on this uh, rather emotional kind of reasoning. He's saying, you don't want to think that way. But of course, it's not true, which we'll get to in just a second. The third aspect of the futility of faith is not only you're in your sins and the people who've died are suffering because of their sins, but lastly, he has this interesting comment in verse 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. What does Paul mean by that? That if in this life, if this is all we have, if we have this life of believing in Jesus, he says we are to be pitied. Well, I think Paul may be thinking about his own story. In Philippians chapter 3, in verse 8, Paul says, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Paul is saying, if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, all of that loss was for nothing, and people should take pity on me because I've done it all for nothing. And we, and we know how that feels. We know how it feels to work hard, to put a lot of effort in, to give all that we have, and it count for nothing. What Paul is saying is if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then all that we have done in the name of Jesus Christ, all that we have given up, all of the temptations that we've resisted, all of the money-making opportunities that we didn't take, all of them are wasted if Christ is not raised from the dead. And if that's the case, we're to be pitied because of instead of enjoying the pleasures and opportunities that sin may have brought, we have been trying to live in a way 
that honored a Christ who was not raised from the dead. He says, that's pitiful. And to the church in Corinth, they would have felt that because they had lost a significant amount already. You see, in Corinth, where wisdom and paganism reigned, to believe in Jesus cost them something. Ridicule, uh, being excluded, not only from society, but in some cases, the opportunity for an employment. And if they did all that for nothing, how pitiful they are. Now, I want us to think here uh, as we consider this, you know, the reality that Christ has been raised from the dead. So it enables me to look back at verses 16 through 19 in a different way. In other words, I can look back and he says, one aspect of futile faith would be that I'm still in my sins. But here's the beauty. Since Christ has been raised from the dead, I am not still in my sins. Now, I know we all struggle with this, and sometimes we live as though the resurrection didn't happen because we live as though we still are responsible for all the mistakes, for all of the rebellion against God, for all of our sin that we've done. We wear it like this weighty, heavy cloak as though we're the one who has to pull it. When Paul says, if we take what he said and we just turn it around, if Christ has been raised from the dead, you are not still in your sins. Now, I know that's very hard for us to imagine, but there is this beautiful idea that Paul explains so well in other passages that if we have believed in Christ, we have union with him. And what that means is that everything that was true of him becomes true of us, and everything that was true of us becomes true of him. Take that in reverse order. What we had, which was sin and guilt and the fear of judgment, he takes upon himself at the cross. He bears our sins. He takes our punishment. And what do we get that belongs to him? His righteousness, his acceptance before God, his uh, eternal joy. He gives us all of these things, and these are all ours as we have put our trust in Christ. We have union with him. Because he has been raised from the dead, we are not still in our sins. And that's good news, brother and sister. It's good news, isn't it, that we no longer are under that burden, but are free from it. Secondly, it says, he says, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then those who have died in Christ, uh, you know, have perished. But because Christ has been raised from the dead, then your loved ones and my loved ones who came before us, who have committed themselves to Jesus Christ, they are enjoying the goodness of the Father even now. They are in the presence of Christ. They are not suffering, but enjoying perfect peace. Now, at some point in time, we'll be reunited with the people who have gone before us we will be raised with them when Christ comes again and brings a consummation to all things. Then those that are dead in Christ, as Paul explains later in this chapter in 1 Corinthians 15, will be raised and we will join with them that we will all bodily and soul enjoy the goodness of Christ forever. So those who have loved Jesus who have already died are enjoying peace, and that is a comfort even when we grieve and have pain over our missing them. They are not grieving. They are rejoicing. 
we grieve because we miss them. But thirdly, he says, if we only have faith in Christ for this life, in other words, if Christ wasn't raised, basically all we have is this sort of uh, pretending that Jesus makes a difference, we should be pitied. But since he has been raised from the dead, then we are the most blessed. Now, I am bringing all of this up because I think in many ways, our current situation, having to stay at home, being restricted, seeing our loved ones and people we know get sick, and some of them die, because these things tend to strike at us. And sort of not meeting for Easter is just the icing on the cake. And it is good sometimes to to be aware of that, but it is bad to feel self-pity about that. You see, we are not pitiful. We are not pitiful. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, you are blessed. I am blessed. We are blessed. It reminds me of a story of the great reformer Martin Luther. Now, Martin Luther struggled with depression his whole life. And even as a believer, he would struggle. Now, he was under a threat of death. He was responsible not only for his own group of people in his community, but in many ways for Christians all over the European world. He felt that weight, and he would often have severe doubts of depression. One time, his wife came into the room wearing all black, basically a mourning outfit. And Martin Luther said, Katie, what is it? Has one of the children died? Or one of our dear friends died? And she said, no. The way you're acting, it is as though Christ is still in the tomb. And this was a great tonic for Martin Luther. Because what he realized, that even though up here he knew Jesus had been raised from the dead, he often didn't live it. He lived like he was pitiful, when in fact he was blessed. And I know I get into that same state. And so even though we can't get together for Easter, it is good to remember that we are not pitiful. That because Easter has happened once and for all in Jesus Christ, We are not to be pitied, but we are blessed because no matter how bad our circumstances get, we have hope of eternal joy with Jesus Christ because our faith is in Him and He has overcome death and the grave. And this is important. It's important for me to remember. You see, I am not preaching this message for you. I am preaching this message for me. Because I have so often grown weary and discouraged and felt myself pitiful. But that is a lie. I am not pitiful. I am blessed. And if you have put your trust in Christ, you are blessed. And so this Easter, I want us to proclaim not as though it is a sort of a way of acknowledging, even though we'd rather not, I want us to proclaim with joy and vigor, Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. And that makes all the difference right now and tomorrow and the next day and every day after. Will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for how good you are to us. That you have not left us wondering 
whether what we believe is true, but you have given us many evidences. You have shown yourself to one person after another, as Paul recounts in this passage. You have reiterated it from uh, the early days of the Christian faith that this is essential to believe, and it is not in vain to believe these things. Our faith is not futile, but, O Lord, because you have been raised from the dead, because you stand listening to our prayers even now at the right hand of God, we know, Lord, that through your Spirit you can empower us to live in the light of your resurrection, not pitiful, but blessed, not weary, but faithful. Oh, Lord, give us your grace for this, this Easter and every day we pray in Christ's name. Now, what would we do without God's goodness and grace? We would despair, but we don't have to. One of my favorite blessings is from the end of the book of Hebrews. And this is what it says. So listen to God's blessing. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, may he equip you with everything good that you may do his will, that he may work in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.